excited. There's good stuff, good stuff going on. Well, let's pray. We're going to open the Word of God together, and as we do so, we need to open our hearts. When we come to the Word of the Lord, we don't come with just a casual um, and cavalier attitude. We come with the expectation that God wants to speak to us personally today, and we need to be ready to hear Him. And you know what? Sometimes the things that God has to say are not always easy to hear, but they are always valuable. You want to hear from the Lord today. I promise you that. But you won't hear from Him today unless you make a choice to open your heart, to open your mind, to open your ears. Let's make that choice together. Let's pray. Father, we know you're in this place, and we are grateful for it. You know, Lord, we're sinners. We're people who sin. Hopefully not routinely. That, that, that's certainly not the heart of this fellowship. But we struggle with it. Our spirit is willing. Our flesh is weak. We struggle with it. We struggle with anger. We struggle with depression, perhaps. Anxiety, for many of us, is an issue. Lust, greed, fear, failure. We feel so inadequate at times. Sometimes we encounter things that seem so unfair. Lord, we confess sometimes it's true. You know it. We won't hide it. Sometimes we get angry with you. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we, we would say right now there's no reason for that. Maybe we wouldn't. Maybe there's some in our midst who would say, you know what, I'm mad at God and I've got a good reason for it. But whatever our heart is right now, Lord, we pray that you would open our heart to you because we want to know you. Where else will we go if we don't go to you? Who else can we hear from if we don't hear from you? So Lord, forgive us of all of our sins and open us to your word. We want to live in you. And we believe you've promised us that anyone who has that desire will find life in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I like a lot of different kind of music. And I enjoy the old-time crooners. You know, the ones who could sing a romantic song in such a classy way. I suppose uh, Frank Sinatra comes to mind, or, I don't know, Dean Martin. A little bit corny, but really lovely. Um, there's many that could be named, but I think one of the greatest, one of the smoothest and most elegant was Nat King Cole, the late, great Nat King Cole. He sang a song that others have sung, but I have to say I'm partial to his version of it. And it went something like this. I'm not going to really sing it for you, trust me. What kind of a fool would I be to start talking about Nat King Cole and, and Frank Sinatra and then try and sing in front of you? But there's a song in which he sings as a, as a lover to a woman who he's trying to woo. I only want the best thing for you. And the best thing for you would be me. <laughs> Pretty suave, debonair, classy kind of thing, right? I just want what's best for you. But what's best for you, honey, is me. You know... 
Some guys would say that and you'd think, what a creep. <laughs> but what makes the difference? The difference is the guy who sings that, who has no interest in what's best for her, he's just interested in what he wants. But when Nat King Cole sings it, that man knows how to sing a song. He sings it in a way in which you never doubt for a minute that the best thing for her would be him. He's right. And you know why? Because you can hear in his heart that what he's singing is not about how he just wants her for his own interests. It's about how he wants her to be loved. I heard that song on my iPhone yesterday when I was walking. And the Lord said to me, Courtney, I just want the best thing for you. And the best thing for you would be me. Jesus is the lover of your soul. The body of Christ is the bride of Christ. And Jesus reaches out to you and me and says, the desire of God, and Jesus is God, but Jesus is also human, so he can make God known to us in a human way. What a blessing. The desire of God is for your best interest. It's what's best for you. But the only way to really say what is best for you and have it be true for every person in every time across every season of life in every circumstance no matter what the situation is to say this the best thing for you is God that's why Jesus gave himself for you and for me because he said I'm what's best for you and God will therefore take anyone who is in him and turn everything for good. God will make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's just another way of God saying, what I want is what's best for you, and what's best for you is me. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord put it this way, I know, I, I know the plans I have for you, and the plans are for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We're in the middle of a series on the prophet Amos today. And the prophet Amos is known as being a prophet of doom. Because the prophet Amos comes with a message that says, the time is up. My people, says the Lord to Israel at that time. This is a prophet who is preaching to the nation of Israel in the 8th century before Christ. And that prophet is saying, listen, people of God, you have all the outward signs of religion, but it stinks because there's no inner sincerity in it. Maybe there are people scattered in the, in the society who have a sincere heart. Amos is certainly one of them, so there's no doubt others. But the society as a whole, which means the majority of people, even if they have God on their lips, they don't have God in their heart. And the Lord is saying, that won't cut it. And in fact, I will cut you down. I'll mow you down like grass that's grown too high. I'll bring you up short because you're relying on yourselves rather than me. There's a burden that God gives to Amos to share with the people. And I spoke last week about how when we come to these passages, which very often many of us don't, 
uh-oh. <laughs> We'd rather not look at these messages. We'd rather not think about God in this mode. Nobody wants to think of God as a God who gets angry. Well, listen, let me tell you something. Whether you like it or not, God gets angry. You better recognize it because hiding from that reality does nothing to change it. But it does do something to you. It makes you and me blind to the truth. But I want to remind you, the God who gets angry gets angry because of his love, not because he's an angry God. I read a devotional this week from someone, uh, a pastor actually, who said the most life-changing moment was when he realized that God is good and God likes me. You know, that sounds so evident, right? But I have to admit, that was a life-changing moment for me too. When the Lord said to me, Courtney, I like you. You'd say, how does God talk to a person? Many of us in the congregation are familiar with the way that the Lord speaks. But for someone who might think that sounds strange, do you really believe that God talks to you? Of course I do. Listen, go out and get a Bible and take a look. God is talking all the time. I did a whole series last year, you may remember, we did it together, about how God speaks. Yes, God speaks. And one of the ways you hear him is in your heart, and one of the ways you hear him is in your head. But one of the most accurate and reliable ways to hear him is in his word. But the more you hear him in his word, the more you'll hear him in your heart, the more you'll hear him in your head. And you might be surprised when he says to you, hey you, he knows your name, put your name in there, I like you. I don't just love you. I don't just love the world. I like you personally. I like who you are. I like who I've made you to be. And I want the best for you. And I'm angry. I'm angry with you when you stand in the way of the blessing I want to bring. Makes me frustrated with you. Yeah, God gets frustrated. Because what God wants is your best. But what you and I want is often not aligned with what God wants. And that creates a burden. You know what? It creates a burden no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. If your life is bent towards something other than God's will for you, it creates a weight upon you. And that weight manifests in a variety of ways. Anxiety, fear, depression, anger. The desire to get something that you think you want, but what it is that you really want is God. So no matter how much you acquire of those things that you think you want, it's never enough because it isn't God. And if you don't acquire those things, you may remain fixated on them. But the reality is the problem is not that you don't have the money or the fame or the prestige or the relationship or the job. The problem is you don't have the heart of God alive in you. But here's another reality. Maybe you're someone who you have a genuine love for the Lord. You're someone who you have a genuine desire for God's will in your life. But you also struggle with this. Your life is mostly shaped by the ways of the world. Somewhere deep inside of you, there's a desire for God. But all around you are the ways of the world. And the pattern of that 
has so shaped you in the way you talk, in the way you think, in the way you live, that even though there's some glory of God buried down deep within you, there's a lot of the weight of the world upon you. And it's a burden. What will we do? The prophets say the time is ripe to turn to God. To give yourself over to God in a way in which you get shaped by Him. No longer be conformed to the way of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your inner being, your mind, your heart, your spirit. Romans 12. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's the blessing that God uses burden to, to bring us into. The burden presses us to desire the blessing of God. Last week we began with a question, and the question is, what is weighing you down today? And we talked about how the message of Amos really does speak to this question, a sort of everlasting question, a question that doesn't age, because it's always relevant as long as we're living in this world, there are burdens that we might carry. But the Lord continually says, cast your burden upon Him, because He's the burden bearer. He'll sustain you. He won't allow the righteous to be shaken. You know what the righteous are? The righteous are not those who always do right, because there's no one who always does right. Well, there's only one that always does right, and that's God. Therefore, the righteous are the ones who trust in God. And the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteous of God. Amen. The righteous are those who cast their burdens on Christ. It doesn't mean that you don't have any sin. It means that you don't have any sin that isn't covered by the Christ. What a blessing is that. He'll never allow you to be shaken when you are standing on the Messiah. Last week we talked about how Amos had a burden, and the burden was the vision from the Lord, and how Amos is a burden. The very name Amos means a burden. It means one who carries a burden. And the people around him thought, what a pain in the neck is Amos. He is a burden on us, because he's always talking about how God's unhappy. They didn't want to hear it. They figured that the way to deal with that burden was to deny it. In other words, we don't like what you're saying, so we will simply deny that it is accurate. We'll say that's not from God. And look, friends, all around us today is a world that denies the Word of God. It, it's just a reality. The world is constantly saying, well, that's not God. There is no God, or if there is a God, that's not the way he speaks, and that's not the way he thinks. Listen, you can say that till you're blue in the face, but what God knows is no one, no one will change who God is. God is unchanging, and he does not look to anyone else to define him. In fact, all other things are defined by him. The way we express that is we, con we confess that God is the judge of all the earth. He's the one who knows who he is. 
and he is the I am. The world can deny everything it wants about him, but it doesn't change who God is. But all that denial is just delusion. And what the Lord says is, I'll let it pass for a while. I'll let it go for a time. I'll be patient. I'll bear with you. But all along, God is saying, hey, wake up. There is a limit on how long you can deny God and get away with it. As believers, you're going to say, this doesn't have any relevance to us. But it does. Because the way of the world is so insidious and the weakness of our flesh is so common that actually all of us are struggling with this all the time. I mean, I'll say it this way. I am, and I'm guessing you are too. Maybe I'm wrong. And if so, then you're a big enough person, you won't hold it against me. But probably you're struggling with this too. Struggling with the reality that the way of God is so different from us that it's hard to live according to his pattern. In fact, it's impossible. You may as well stop trying to live according to his pattern and do something different. Start asking him to change you from the inside out. Because what God really wants to do is a miracle. He wants to do a miracle in you and me that cannot be achieved by ourselves. If we could do it on our own, we would have a long time ago. We can't do it on our own. But what God says is you don't even have to do it. You just have to be willing to let me do it. If you will open to me, I'll do it in you. And it's an everyday, day in, day out kind of process. And it doesn't end as long as we're breathing on this earth. But it does progress. It does advance. You do get more and more like him from glory to glory. So it's not a burden to hear what God has to say, no matter what God has to say. Because whatever God has to say, he is saying it because it is intended to bless you. And the only way that you can really be confident of that is if you and I, like Amos, know the burden bearer. If you and I recognize that Jesus is the one who carries that weight that is on our shoulder, we can give it over to him. And in doing so, we can receive his reward. The divine vision is a burden. It's described that way throughout the Old Testament. We talked about that last week in Ezekiel and Zechariah, even places in Isaiah, where the word of the Lord was described as a burden. It's a weight. Amos received those kinds of words and those kinds of visions. Let me remind you of who Amos was. He was a common man. He was a humble guy. He wasn't a professional prophet, even though they had professional prophets at that time. And think of the professional prophets the way you might think of a dude like me, a guy who makes his living by working for the church. That's the way the professional prophets were. But the problem with them was they knew that people didn't like to hear what God had to say in that season. And if you're making your livelihood off of those people, the temptation is very great to give those people what they want. And if they don't like what you're giving them, you better change what you're giving them. So the professional prophets had learned to speak in a way that pleased the people. But it didn't please God because it wasn't honest. So God went searching for someone who wasn't a professional. He found Amos, a fig farmer and a sheep herder, and he said, I'll put my burden on you. 
I'll give you the vision for the people. And Amos, whose heart was set towards the Lord, heard from the Lord. You know what? This is part of why some of us, you and I, have a hard time hearing from the Lord. Because we don't really want to get what God has to give. Remember that in the Hebrew, this term for burden means what you have received. Some of us don't want to receive from God because we don't like what God has to say. And what God says is, well, that's too bad. I'm not changing what I have to say based on you. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Will the clay say to the potter, this is what you should make me? Or does the potter have his hand on the clay? So God says, I'm not changing my message for you. I am and I won't change for you, but I will change you to be more like me. But if you want to hear from God, you've got to be willing to hear him say some things that you might not want to hear. You get that? You've got to get that. Because if you don't get that, there's no fruitfulness. There's no halfway with God. You have to be willing to let him be God in order to be in alignment with him. He doesn't need you to be God, but you need to acknowledge him as God in order for you to be fruitful in him. Amos wanted that, and it made Amos fruitful. Amos lived in a time that you and I can recognize, a time of national division. Israel in the north and Judah in the south had literally divided their governments and their kingdoms. He lived in a time when the nation had a lot of military strength and it had a lot of wealth, but it did not have a lot of God. And Amos preached about the idolatry and the evil that dominated in his, his national realm at that time. He was from the south, but he preached primarily to the north because in the north, the sin was even greater. There was a lot of pride in northern Israel. They were bigger than Judah. They were stronger than Judah militarily. They were richer than Judah. And so they said, Judah may have the temple and Judah may have those historic elements of what God had decreed for Israel. But Israel's the one that really shows how good and strong we are. But what Amos said was, the Lord's not impressed. And he preached God's burden against Israel's injustice. Not only did they have idolatry, but they took advantage of the poor. Their courts were corrupt. The judges could be paid off. The officials could be bought with money. And God despises that because it does damage to people and takes advantage of power. And God is very much opposed to these things. He is also opposed to the indulgence, the personal indulgence, that not only dominated Amos's society, but ours today. Sexual indulgences, uh, a fixation with intoxication. In their day, it was liquor. It is still to this day. But we have many other things. And if you think the opioid crisis is novel, recognize that it's just yet another way in which people try and escape the burden that they feel. In a, in, a, in a substance that ends up holding them in a prison. And the fake religion that was so evident in their day. Amos preached against all these things. I want to come to one of Amos's latter visions today. And in doing so, 
I want to ask you this question, and I really want you to consider it. Who owns your life? Who holds the mortgage on your life? Because there is one. You've been bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself. Amen. There's someone that owns you, and it's the Lord. But do you and I live in that way? Or do we live like our lives belong to ourselves? You know, I'm not going to get deeply into this subject today, but I've, I've determined that the Lord is prompting me that I need to bring a message on this. And in fact, there was a member of our congregation who I think was prophetically prompted to, to say, I'd really like to hear a message on this. Suicide is becoming an increasing issue in our society today. I read a study just last night that said in the last 20 years, suicide has increased exponentially statistically in our society. Uh, you may have heard, and it's a very tragic thing, that a, a notable Christian leader just less than a week ago took his life. And um, our prayers go up for his family, for his congregation, even for him. Uh, when you pray, you're praying to a God who exists outside of time. There's no clock on your prayers. You can pray for anyone at any time. I assure you of that, because God exists in all times. Um, I'm not interested in trying to bring any negative statement about someone who succumbed to such a thing. I think all of us have a heart of compassion. There's probably no one in the room who hasn't been touched by suicide in some way or another. You've known somebody that committed suicide, maybe somebody in your family, and I'll bet it's true that every single person in the room at one time or another has faced something like a temptation to suicide. Why do I bring this up? One because it reflects the burden I'm talking about. Yes. When people feel that there's no point to living anymore, when they feel that they would be better off dead, when they feel that their family would be better off if they were dead, that's a reflection of a burden bearing down on you. But it, it, it needs to be said, and I say this with the utmost grace and compassion for anyone who has been tempted towards suicide. I've been tempted towards suicide, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying there's any um, sin in that. A temptation is not a sin. I'm also not uh, claiming some superiority in this. But I want to tell you this. Suicide is a lie. What I mean by that is it's hope that it offers to people of a release and a relief from pain is a lie from hell. There's not a release and a relief to be found in suicide. I assure you of that. I do not think, and as I said, I'll bring a message on this, because we should have a biblical understanding of suicide. I don't think suicide is a sin any worse than any other sin, but I do know that it is a sin. And I simply say that to be honest to the Word of God. It isn't the will of God, and anything that conflicts with the will of God is a sin. Anything that goes against God's will is by definition a sin. And suicide always goes against God's will. It is never God's will for anyone. There are people who succumb to it, and there are reasons why we could understand that. But for any one of us that would ever face that temptation, we need to recognize this reality. Anything we think about how suicide might give us a way out is a fraud. It's one of the most tragic things that anyone could ever do. 
but it is literally taking one's own life in one's hands. One thing that God says about suicide is this. It isn't your right to do that. People say, it's my life. No, it isn't. Did you make it? Did it come from you? Did you choose the day you were born? Did you weave yourself together in the womb? It isn't your life. It's a life that's been given to you by God. It belongs to Him. And what He says to anyone who may be tempted by suicide right now, I want to remind you of two things. One is, yes, prayer does make a difference. Yes, the scriptures do provide hope and truth. But if you are tempted in that way right now, don't be silent about it. Reach out for help. I'm here for you. And there are others that are here from you. If you're not in the region where you can come to PCF, you find a pastor, you find a counselor, there are hotlines, there is someone to listen to you, and God is there. Call upon the Lord and find hope in Him. But recognize this reality. Your life belongs to Him. And what he is saying is, dear one, I've got a good future for you, no matter how bleak the present moment may seem. I've got something good for you. But the best thing for you would be me. That's what Jesus says. And the best news, the really good news, is that Jesus is available to you today. In Amos chapter 8, the Lord gives Amos a vision of a basket of summer fruit. Why? It is because of that vision that we are in this series. The vision means this, according to the Lord, the time is ripe. The Lord says to Amos, what do you see? I see a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord says, the reason I'm showing that to you is because the time is ripe. I will make that time like mourning for an only son. Yes, this is a vision with a burden. The Lord is saying, the time is up for my people Israel. I'm going to bring a judgment upon them because they have resisted me. And it will be so devastating, it'll be like losing your only son. The days are coming when people will actually want to hear from God, but there will be a famine of God's words. They'll want to hear from God, and they won't be able to. That's the message of Amos 8. What do you see, Amos? I see summer fruit. Why? Well, let me tell you something. We don't know whether Amos was looking at a basket of fruit that was right there in his house or in front of him, wherever he happened to be on that day, or if the Lord gave him a vision in his mind's eye. I don't suppose it particularly matters. What matters is what he saw. And the Lord said, what do you see? But do you notice something in that question? The Lord is showing us things, my friends. The Lord is showing us his ways. But he's saying, do you see it? Will you look at it? What do you see? There are some things that are envisioned by a basket of summer fruit. For one thing, remember what Amos is. He's a farmer. A fig farmer, by the way. You know what summer fruit uh, foretells? The vision is a time like this. It's a September vision. It's a vision of the fruit that comes in at the very end. The very end. 
right before the harvest. What do you see? I see fruit that only comes at the end when it's time to cut things down and bring them in. When it's time to cut down all that has grown up and to measure it and for it to be consumed. Now, here's something in the Hebrew that you wouldn't get. Are you still with me? You haven't gone to sleep, right? The time is ripe. I hope you're still awake for it. In the Hebrew, the word for summer fruit that is used here sounds almost identical for the word for end. I'm not very good at pronouncing it, but it's like gayets and kets. It sounds like end. And in fact, the way we have some, we have some archaeological evidence for this. We have some textual evidence for how the people spoke in the north. They had a particular dialect. They had a particular accent, right? People from different regions have different accents. The people in the north, the way they said that word for end was basically exactly the way they said the word for fruit. So that Amos is saying, I see a basket of the end. I see a basket of the end times, if you will. And the Lord says, yes, because the end has come. And it's come the way a harvest comes. It comes in due season. Things have ripened to the place where now, if I let it go any longer, it'll go rotten. You know how summer fruit is? If you don't pick it at that point, it's going to pass. When I was growing up as a kid in the country in central California, we had all kinds of fruit trees in our yard. We had cherry trees and we had plum trees. I remember that plum tree, it would be <laughs> ravaged by the birds. They knew how to find the ripe fruit. And if you didn't pick the fruit in time, the birds would get to it. Think about the parable of the soils in which Jesus used the bird as a metaphor for Satan. If you don't pick it now, Satan is going to consume it. But the other thing that could happen is if you, if you pick it and you don't eat it, it goes rotten in the bowl. The flies start to swarm around it the way the Lord of the flies would. And it begins to grow green and moldy and smell terrible. There's a ripeness that comes and demands a response. And the Lord says, that time has come. I will no longer spare them. Actually, literally in the Hebrew, what verse 2 is saying there is, I will no longer pass over them. You hear the word? Passover. The Lord had passed over his people Israel with death, but he did not bring death upon them because the blood of the lamb was upon their doors, upon their households. But he brought death upon the things of the world. But the Lord said, I'm not going to pass over anymore because the blood of the lamb isn't on you anymore. You've come out from under that covering. How about us? Look, dear one, at your life. What do you see? Is there fruit? Or have you come out from under the covering of the blood? The Lord says, I will not pass over. Galatians 6 puts it this way. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow is what you will reap. The time is ripe. And God is saying it to us today, PCF. He's saying, I'm going to work in your life one way or another. If you want me to work with you, I'll work with you. But if you're going to stand against me, I love you so much that I'll come against you until you come into alignment with me. But my promise to you is this today. One way or another, he's going to get us right with him. 
But a time is coming that the Lord says is a time like mourning. Mourning for an only son. Corpses will be strewn here, there, and everywhere. Shh. Listen to this. You who walk all over the week, who treat poor people as less than nothing, who say, when's my next paycheck something coming so I can go out and live it up? How long till the weekend when I can go out and have a good time? You give little and you take much and you never do an honest day's work. You exploit the poor, you use them, and then when they're used up, you discard them. I'm keeping track of their every last sin, says the Lord. I hope that's not us, but if it is, we better listen because the time is ripe for God to judge. God's oath will shake earth's foundations and dissolve the whole world into tears. Sweep in like a river that rises, flooding houses and lands, and then recedes, leaving behind a sea of mud. On judgment day, watch out. These are the words of God, my master. I'll turn the sun off at noon. In the middle of the day, the earth will go black. I'll turn your parties into funerals and make every song you sing a dirge. Here's a day that's being described. Listen now. Are you with me? Yes. Track with me. A day that's like mourning for an only son. A day in which the whole earth shakes. A day in which the sun goes dark at noon. Friends, do you know that this day has already come? Do you recognize that day? If you don't, go into the Gospels and read about the day that Jesus Christ died. On that day, there was an earthquake that was so strong it was felt throughout the Mediterranean world, and it's recorded not just in the Bible, but in the records of the Mediterranean ancient world. On that day, the earthquake was so strong that the temple in Jerusalem was shook, and the veil that was between the temple and the most holy place was ripped in two. On that day, we are told that darkness came over the sun. And this also is recorded in the records, not only of the Bible, but of the ancient Mediterranean world, that there was an unexpected eclipse around the time in which Jesus was crucified. The Bible tells us reliably, there was an earthquake and the sun went dark. And it was so profoundly evident that God was at work in it that a Gentile, non-Jewish person who had no knowledge of the scriptures, presumably. The Roman centurion, who was overseeing the crucifixion of Christ, said, surely this man was the son of God. John 3.16 puts it this way, God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It is like mourning for an only son. But the mourning for that son brings mourning for the rest of us. That is the bright, shining star that gives hope to our hearts because that sun rose again. The time is ripe to turn to Jesus because Jesus is the only, 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 only hope. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which people can be saved. There is no other way to life, none other but Jesus. Any other who claims it is a fraud. Jesus is the only hope. But in Jesus, every hope is secured. Hallelujah. The time is ripe. Think of the worst that could happen. 
your only son say murdered. These are the words of Amos chapter 10 in the message. That's a hint of judgment day. That and much more. But think of the best. Think if the one who was murdered rose again. Think if the glory of God came to you with grace to say, even though you failed, I will redeem you. The days are coming when it will be hard to hear God. God himself says that. Yes, my judgment day is coming and I'll send a famine. It won't be a famine of water. It won't be a famine of food, although the scripture says those things come too. But the worst thing is it will be a famine of the word of God because in reality, people don't live by bread alone. They live by the word of God. So what happens when the word of God goes silent? People will drift from one end of the country to the other. They'll go anywhere and listen to anyone hoping to find the hope of God's word, but they won't hear it. You know why? Because the time will have passed when they could have grown the ears to hear it. Something happens when you and I ignore God. We go deaf to him. And what God says is, make no mistake. If you keep silencing me, I will go silent and you will be left alone. So now, today, as long as it's called today, call upon the Lord as long as he will hear you so that you may receive times of refreshing and the word of life. For believers, it's important for us to recognize that if we are just engaged in lip service to God, but we don't have a genuine heart for him, we may as well turn that off right now because that's, um, can I use initials? That's BS. Let's just leave it at that. Amos the sheep herder would know what I'm talking about. Sheeps put a lot of that out too. I guess that would be SS. It's fraud. Who's fooled? Me? Hey, I'm easy to fool. You? You're not that hard to fool either. And you can fool yourself. But what Galatians 6 is saying is you can't fool God. And God is not a fool. And God doesn't want you to be a fool. But anyone who silences the voice of God, especially when God is saying something you don't want to hear, is a fool and will receive a fool's reward. You know what? I'm a fool. I've ignored God and silenced him. I've tried to do things my own way and fix things in my own fashion, and I make a bigger mess of them. I make so many mistakes and I've sinned over and over. But what I'm grateful for is, fool that I am, God loves me. And God says, I want the best thing for you. And the best thing for you would be me. Next week, we're going to conclude our series on Amos. And as we do, I want to show you that even as the Lord is bringing these burdensome words to his people, he concludes on a blessing. 
He says, nevertheless, even though I'm going to do all of these things, I'm going to do them for your good. I'm going to bring about something better for you. I'm going to bring you into the place of blessing. It may only be a remnant, but for those who are in the remnant, there will be a reward. So I want to invite you to be among the remnant of God today and to be among those who would look to spread the word of the kingdom so that as many who would receive this message as would could be brought into life. Because God doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to life. And not only life in some future way, but today. A life that's freed from depression. A life that's freed from despair. A life that's freed from anxiety, from greed, from lust, from anger, from fear. A life in which you are restored here and now, but also in which you have a hope in the world to come. We praise your name, Lord because our hope is in you. Lord Jesus, we come before you today acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, we acknowledge that even among those of us who claim your name and truly have a heart for you, we are so weak that we often sin in many, many ways. But Lord, we confess that sin and we repent of it. And we renounce it. And if there's any among us, any within the sound of my voice, any reading these words at any time who would say, Lord, I've turned away from you in a really dramatic, intentional way, or I've never come to you before, but right now my heart is touched. Right now I know that your love for me is calling me into you. Then, Lord, I stand in agreement with that brother, with that sister, with every single one of them, no matter what their age, no matter what their background, no matter what their sin. And I say, Lord, in agreement in your name, let them receive life in you and that more abundantly. Let them receive the assurance of forgiveness. And Lord, pay their debt, heal their disease, cure their relationship, bring their child back into the fold. If there's something that they think can't be fixed, fix it. If there's something they think is long dead, resurrect it. Or Lord, whatever your will would be, but I know your will is good. Let your goodness be made known to them, Lord. Not because of them, not on the basis of their goodness or mine, because we have none, but on yours, on the basis of your righteousness, Jesus Christ. So let it be done. And even right now, you felt it. You felt that in your heart. Acknowledge that to God. Say, all right, I believe you. I believe you. You're real. I'm coming to you. I'm giving myself to you. Maybe I don't understand. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I feel ignorant of your word and your ways, but I'm giving myself to you, all that I know of myself, to all that I know of you right now in this moment. And it may be that you've done that over and over again, but friend, do it again today because God is alive in you today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.